Luke chapter 8. We'll start at the very beginning of the chapter tonight. I'll try hurrying along so you all can get home and watch the Cowboys fail. That will ruin your week. Uh, And then they'll play a terrible team and barely squeak out a victory. And then they'll go 0-7 and play the best team in football and beat them. I think the last three years or something, we've beaten a team that was 7-0 or 8-0, something like that. Cowboys are just a dumb team. It's one of them things where I tell people, I'm a Cowboys fan, but I sure hate it. I don't want to be. I just am. It's just a curse. Uh, So, like I'm a sinner. I I can't help it. I don't want to be, but I'm a sinner. So that's the same thing. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. It's same way, I guess. Luke chapter 8 this evening. We'll start in verse 1 as we continue our series about the sermons of Jesus. We'll start in verse 1 of Luke chapter 8. The Bible says, And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village preaching and showing glad tidings of the kingdom of God. Now, I wish the Bible recorded every sermon of Jesus because we'd be in this a whole long time, uh, a lot more than probably what we're going to be in this series. But the Bible says here that he's going throughout the regions and he's preaching in every town, uh, teaching in every town and showing forth the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, uh, out of whom went seven devils. And anytime you hear of some false theology that says Mary Magdalene and Jesus were married, uh, you just look them right in the face and say, that's wrong. Uh, Women that are transformed by the power of Christ have a tendency to be around Christ, just like men that are transformed by the power of Christ. Just like the 12 disciples, they were transformed and amazed at this power that Christ had. And so they said, yeah, I'm going to be around him. That's why you see Mary Magdalene often when you see Jesus Christ mentioned in the Bible. Mary Magdalene's there, not because they were married at all, but because she loved Him. She thanked Him for what He had done in her life. Maybe that's our problem. We're too scared that people might marry us to Jesus while we don't really claim to be around Him very much. Verse 3, And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others which ministered unto Him of their substance... And when much people were gathered together, now he's gathered a crowd and, he's, and uh, were come to him out of every city, he spake by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And it was trodden down and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock. And as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And others fell on good ground, and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? Now I'm thankful tonight that I don't have to interpret this passage, because Jesus goes on and says exactly what everything means. The Bible says in verse 10, And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection." But that on the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you that you loved us and gave us this letter, this love letter by which we can apply our lives to it and become more like you. Lord, I don't have to walk uh, on the shores of Galilee or in Jerusalem to meet with you. I can open the Word of God. 
And you're right there as face to face. So, Father, tonight I pray that you'd please reveal yourself as face to face with us. Lord, please be with us this evening. I ask that your spirit would reveal the word of God and illuminate the word of God to each and every man's conscience in this room tonight. I pray and I ask all these things in your son's precious name. Amen. You want to know what God thinks of you? What Jesus Christ, the the all-powerful Savior of this universe, thinks of you, He thinks of you about like He thinks of a pile of dirt. Yeah, I mean, the Bible even says so in Genesis chapter 2, speaking of the creation of man, the Bible says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. You see, man has a history with dirt. I mean, if it was not for this lowly thing called dirt, you and I would not be here today. For it was out of the dust of the ground He formed our flesh and He breathed in the life uh, through our nostrils. So it's kind of an amazing thing, dirt. As funny as that sounds. I had a professor in college, probably one of my favorite professors that I had and I took the whole time I was there. And it just happens to be Brother Jared Butterfield's father. His name's Tim Butterfield. He actually came with us. And he always said this, After all, I'm not anything more than just a buck and a half worth of dirt. He said that all the time. And if you want to bug Jared about it, he will validate the fact that this man says it all the time. And that caught my attention because in that saying is so much truth and so, so much humility. I mean, the fact of the matter is, if it were not for the grace of God, you and I would be about as valuable as a buck and a half worth of dirt. Now, it was not long ago we bought our ranch and we were trying to figure out how to get white tailed deer to live on our ranch and so that we can hunt these things. We've not killed very many, so we probably failed long ago, but I don't know what it is. We were talking a little bit and we decided that if we were going to have a herd of deer live on our property and we're going to sustain, which is the buzzword in deer hunting, sustain a herd of deer like they're cattle or something. If you're going to sustain a herd of deer, you have to plant what's called food plots, food plots. Now, we have a lot of acreage that we can plant, approximately 22 to 25 acres that we can disc and we can plant with wheat, with oats, with whatever we choose. But I remember as we first got into this, you know, we're not farmers, we're not ranchers. We just try putting stuff in the ground to see if it grows. But I remember as we first got into it, one of the things that we began to research was soil pH levels. Now, for any of you that know anything about gardening, soil pH level stands for the ability your soil has to produce a plant. So for some seeds, they require a much higher level of pH. Well, we got our little tests done and we we shipped it off and they sent us back the results. And turns out our soil is terrible. It's sand. It's not even dirt. It's just sand. And it's funny how... Every bag of food plot seed or every seed comes with what soil pH levels ought to be. Most of them range from six and a half to seven and a half. Uh, And ours were more like (laughs) 0.2. So it's not good, but we still every year throw seeds in the ground like we're a bunch of dummies. And we, we try getting the, we sustain a herd of deer with our seeds because they don't grow to anything more. But tonight, I want to go to the man who planted the Garden of Eden. Who was able with just the words of his mouth to speak in a beautiful, perfect paradise. And Jesus tells us tonight exactly what soil content our hearts ought to be. And that's what we want to look at. I want you to understand though, by way of introduction, the seed is the same. It's the Word of God. It's the preached Word of God. It's the read Word of God. It's the received Word of God. It's the hearing of the Word of God. It is the Word of God being received by a person. The seed's the same. Secondly, I want you to understand the sower is the same. The Bible, especially in this passage, points to the fact that Jesus Christ is the sower. But even over uh, when you get to John chapter 4, verse 35 through 38, the Bible tells us that really the sower can be anybody that's planting the Word of God. 
So not necessarily is it uh, just Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says the son of man is the one that's sowing right now because he was at the moment preaching the word of God. But really tonight, you know what I am? I'm the sower of the seed. I am a preacher of the word of God. And you are too, whether you have the mark on your life or not. You are a preacher, a teacher, a disciple of the word of God, receiving it and handing it out to others. The sower's the same, the seed is the same, but tonight the soil is the object. And that's what we'll look at. First of all, there are four types of soils. First of all, we see unprepared hearts. Look in verse 12. Jesus is explaining exactly what all the different types of soil are and the characteristics of each. First of all, he begins to cover the soil that he mentioned was by the wayside. Verse 12, those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. I want you to first off all notice the readiness of the way. You see what the wayside is, essentially there's a road... And this is the way I picture it. There's a road leading up to a field. On both sides of the road, that's what would be referred to as the wayside. Now every once in a while, as uh, they planted with a bag of grain around their neck, and they would take this grain and they would cast it out by hand, every once in a while, say when they were transferring seed from one thing to another, one container to another, they would spill some seed. And I can just imagine someone on the way to plant their prepared soil, but some, some, some seed falling by the wayside, just the side of the road where men would walk and then they would trample on the seed. And, and really, and you, you'll understand this, as dirt is walked upon, it becomes more compacted, does it not? More compressed so that it's unable to receive really even water. Uh, as water will easily run down compacted dirt. And so that's the picture. The wayside is compacted dirt, unprepared soil. You see... I believe that if we are going to come to church and we're going to try receiving the word of God being preached and being taught in our Sunday school classes, it would be a shame if we don't come with a little bit of prepared heart. What do you do as a Christian to prepare yourself for Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night preaching? I hope we are not the type of people that go all day long worried about the Rangers and the Cowboys. And and we we go throughout our day on Wednesday worried about our job. And then we just go to church because it's that time. Now, I I applaud you for coming three to thrive, man. I, I applaud you for Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. In fact, you know what I call that? The core of our church. The people willing to, to, to give their time for the Lord three times a week so that they can receive the Word of God. But I hope in our busy lives, in our schedules that seem to be overbooked all the time, we make a time where we can prepare our hearts to do more than just meet here. I hope we're preparing our hearts to hear from the Word of God and to hear from the Spirit of God. The Bible talks in Isaiah chapter 1 in verses 16 through 18. It tells us about some people that were coming to church. And God says, I can't even stand the fact that you're coming to church. It's, it's just the solemn meeting is iniquity unto me is what God says. You're meeting futilely. Uh, it's futile that you would even come and meet. But then he says this in verse 16. Wash you. Make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now. Let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You know what he's telling them to do? Prepare your heart when you come to church. When you come to appear before me, make sure we don't come as dirty vessels. Make sure we've taken some 
uh, some avenues by which we could open up our heart and say, Lord, if there be any wicked way in me, reveal it so that I can remove it. As David says so many times in the Psalms, Lord, search me, O God. Try me, O God. Man, I hope that we as Christians, when we come to church, we're hoping to get something out of church. And that we would not have unprepared soil as our hearts. And secondly, we see, first of all, unprepared hearts, but we see, oh, I'm sorry, we, we need to look at the rival of the word. So we see the readiness of the way, but secondly, look at the rival of the word. Now, this phrase catches my, my eye so very much in verse 12. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the who? The devil. Now, that to me is a very intimidating phrase. A little scary even that the, the word of God could be being preached and the Bible says that the devil is actively trying to remove the word of God's effectiveness in the hearts of people. How often do you pray for the preacher? I mean, we, we often have memorial days and, and holidays that celebrate our military. And we, we often mention them in prayers. Lord, be with our boys overseas. Protect them and guide them. But I want you to understand, every time a preacher steps into this pulpit, he is entering spiritual warfare. This is not an easy job. And I'm not just saying that because I'm up here. I'm saying it is scary knowing that the devil is trying to take me out. And it's scary to know that the devil is trying to take a man out that's been preaching now 47 years. And he, he, he has no more power than the devil save the Spirit of God. That's an intimidating thought. But this evening the Bible says that as I'm preaching... The devil's trying to go around this auditorium and remove the Word of God from your mind. You know what I'd say that would be? Thinking about things that are not going on right now. More commonly referred to as daydreaming. I think that's an effective method. Well, I wonder, I wonder what I'm going to get at the grocery store later. And we make our grocery list and... And we, we, we began to think about, you know, well, if the in-laws are coming into town this week, I've got to clean the car and uh, make sure I put some mice in their bed. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we began to think about things that are not right, really that important when you talk about spiritual warfare, when you're talking about the Word of God trying to be conveyed in an effective manner that's authorized and validated by the Word of God. You're telling me that it's a good idea to worry about the Rangers and worry about the Cowboys and check the score of the ballgame? You're telling me that as the devil's going around this auditorium, you're going to give place to him by saying, oh, okay, the Cowboys started about 20 minutes ago. You're telling me you're going to do that? Because that's the devil coming by and saying, I'll take that word of God straight out. I'll remove that thought, that phrase that could have impacted you, that you could have fed on all week. I'll take that away. Christian, don't give place to the devil. The Bible says in Ephesians six twelve, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, and against rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Uh, the Christianity is not some easy-going lifestyle. It's a wrestling match. And we're fighting the devil every step of the way. Don't give place to him. Prepare your heart when you come to church. Don't come as unprepared soil. Uh, secondly, look with me. We see, first of all, unprepared hearts. Secondly, unreceptive hearts. Verse 13 Jesus is speaking now of the soil that he called soil a rock. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. Now in this region, as Jesus is preaching... It was very prevalent to find soil 
as a top layer, but directly underneath just a few inches, have limestone. It's very common in this region. And so you have good soil on top, but right underneath it is unacceptable soil or rock. I want you to notice, first of all, with me, the appearance of the ground. You see, as you look out among this ground, it would appear good. It would appear relatively nice. In fact, I would even imagine uh, an uninformed man would say, yeah, I see good soil there. Yeah, that should be a good place to plant a seed. But upon further inspection, when you get deeper in the ground, you find it's really just hard rock. And the seed could never take root there at all. Boy, we Christians dress up good, don't we? I mean, really, doesn't the Bible even compliment the Pharisees about their outward appearance? It talks about, boy, your robes are pretty and, and you have literally whitewashed yourself and, and you appear quite nice. But on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. A, a, a sepulcher is what the Bible t- calls the Pharisees. You're a graveyard on the inside and you make this great effort to cleanse yourself on the outward appearance. But on the inside, the word of God's not taking any root. Amen. When's the last time the word of God has gripped you so badly that you couldn't shake it? That you couldn't wait for the preacher to stop preaching so that you can make your way down to the altar. I'm just asking, and as Dad talked a little bit about it right before the offering, it's unique that he would say, we need to be soft-hearted church. I just wonder if maybe the reason altars aren't full and eyes are no longer teary is because we have hardened our heart, whether it be by the world or whether it be by too much preaching, we expect a show when we come to church and not the Word of God to affect our lifestyle. And I just wonder if the reason that pews are more full than the altar is because we've hardened our heart. And the Word of God has no ability within itself to take root in your life. But we look good. I believe God's just sitting in heaven saying, Holy Spirit, break them. I, I hope and I pray that that is your prayer. That you would seek God before you ever come to church and say, Lord, break me. Change me into the masterpiece that you want me to be. The Bible says in Hebrews 3.8, Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Ephesians 4.18 even speaks a little bit about it when it says, Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. How's your heart? Is the Lord speaking to your heart ever? Let me just say this, if you're not being moved by the preaching at this church, find one that is. Because we don't need pretty Christians. We need broken Christians. Spilled out before the Lord, asking Him to do great and mighty things. And He can't work through somebody that's so hard, He can't move. Oh, so we see, first of all, the appearance of the ground. Secondly, we see the accomplishment of the ground. Look in verse 13. This is unique. So it's a hard rock. Uh, they even receive the word with joy. Now that's kind of a unique phrase. They receive the word with joy. And these have no root, but it's unique because uh, the Bible talks about how in verse 6, there actually is plant life that springs up. So essentially, they receive the Word of God. They're real excited about it. And they receive the the preaching and and the Bible with a readiness to act upon it. And probably even they're the person that amen to the loudest. Boy, amen, preacher. Oh, that's good, preacher. Oh, speak to me, preacher. They're that person. And then in time of temptation, it, it has no root. Now, now, for a while, though, they accomplished something. 
but it wasn't truly founded in the Word of God. It was done in their own power. You know why Christians can't get victory over sin? It has no root. The conviction that they felt in the brief moments at the altar never took such a grip on their soul that they said, Anything, Lord! I'll get rid of the TV. I'll get rid of the car. I'll get rid of it, Lord. Anything you want me to do. And you say, preacher, these sure sound like very unique things you're speaking of. Hey, when I embarked on preaching the sermons of Jesus Christ, you didn't think they would get a little unique? You didn't think there would be some things that it just seemed like he would ask us to do more than what we were willing to do? I'm just saying, I hope that our accomplishments and the day-to-day things that we're proud of, and we say, boy, that's a good sermon, preacher. I hope we're not just saying those words as lip service, but we're acting upon what is said this evening and this morning. That's my prayer. John 8, verse 31 says, Then said Jesus to the Jews which believed on Him, If ye continue in My Word, then are ye My disciples. I remember faces that were new and we were cheering that, man, we got a brand new couple. We shake their hand as we go right across. Man, we're excited you're here. That's great. Awesome. Praise the Lord. Hope you plug in. Hope we do great. Well, then they just vanish. Now, I'm not saying they weren't disciples of Christ, but I hope that you are, have a little more stick to than just to make decisions and fall and falter on those decisions. After all, don't we give the teenagers a hard time about youth camp? Oh, my kid doesn't seem any different after youth camp. Maybe it's because they've never, ever seen their parent make one decision for Christ. They've never seen their parent make one impactful change in their lives that says, you know what, kids, I know, I know we've been watching that TV show. But tonight during the preaching, I just kind of felt like he didn't want us to do it anymore. So as much as you love it, as much as we do it as a family hobby, no more. That would make an impact in your kids and say, hey, you know what? Dad is trying to live for God. Dad is trying to to change and mold himself more into the image of Christ. Make make sure our accomplishments are a little deeper than fleeting things. In verse 13, we see why they are so fleeting. We see the adversity of the ground. Which for a while believe, and in time of temptation, fall away. So Jesus says here that they did show a little sprout, a little joy, a little vigor, even some zeal maybe that they would do something with the Word of God that they had received. Man, man, they were on fire. Don't we hear that a lot in today's church? Man, they're just on fire for the Lord. And then two months later, they're not here. But we, we hear that and we, we preach that, but things get a little rocky whether it's between them and their spouse, whether the kid starts giving them some trouble. I I don't know what it is in each and every life. Maybe the bank account isn't quite stretching as far as it once had. And and a little temptation comes their way. What do we refer to it as? The valley. The storm. It all hits them at once. And this person that was once on fire, as we so aptly say, gets burn out real fast. Can I just share something with you? Temptation is a blessing. Trials in our lives are not grievous. It is during the furnace that we see the Savior. It is during the storm when we see Him walking on the water. It is not in those times of comfort and ease that we are able to see Him more deeply than we've ever seen Him before. I'm just here tonight to tell you that when people come up to me and say, Brother Andrew, we're sorry your daughter passed away. I say, I praise the Lord that He would give me an opportunity to see His grace just a little more clearly. I'm sorry, but I just think that us Christians are always running from the valley when in turn we should be running into the valley that says, Lord, if that's what it takes, I'm willing to go there. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. For thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thy right hand guideth me. It's not a grievous thing. It's a blessing. But when you have no root in the word of God, temptation seems like a mountain too high to climb. Struggles seem far too difficult to to actually overcome. 
when we are in turn trying to overcome them in our own strength and our own abilities. But Christ says, I will uphold you with my right hand. I will help you through each and every trial. Uh, Do not fear. Uh, I have overcome the world. Greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. Don't we have a good guide? I remember my dad used to call David Hayes Pathfinder. We would always be coon hunting and it would seem like we would get so lost in the woods. And, and, you know, we have compasses and we have GPSs. But my dad always referred to David A's as Pathfinder because he would always get us back on the right track. You know what? We have a good Pathfinder. Amen. And he might be a little better than David Hayes. He might know all, see all, and be all. And he just says, look to me. And allow my word to impact you just a little deeper than surface level, outward appearance. Thirdly, we move on. We see Jesus talk a little bit about unavailable hearts. Verse 14. And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. First of all, I want to look at the crowding of this heart. Jesus is talking a little bit about thorny ground. And I don't know if you've ever walked through the woods in Texas, but there's these viney like thorn things that cut my duck hunting waders and they go through my blue jeans and and you get caught up in them and there's really no way out except just to pull with all your force. And, and if you've ever seen them, they overtake entire portions of forest. And Jesus is trying to illustrate that there is good ground beneath, but over top, thorns have overtaken. And so all the nutrients from the soil and all the, the uh, uh, stuff that the plant would need to grow is being sucked up by the thorns. It's just overcrowded. Have you ever been to a buffet with somebody who really enjoys to eat? I am not this person. When I go to a buffet, I plan on getting one plate and a dessert plate. We went to Golden Corral the other day and I don't know about y'all, but that chocolate fountain was the greatest invention since bread. That thing, although the thought of Sharing one chocolate fountain with about a thousand people a day kind of grosses me out. It's still good enough to actually partake in it, regardless of the sanitary uh, purposes for which I might not partake in that. But I love the chocolate wonderfall is what it's called. And and I went over there and actually Golden Corral makes some of the best banana pudding in the world because it's not really banana pudding at all. It's whipped cream pudding with bananas in it. And so it's delicious. And, And we went to Golden Corral the other day and And I get one plate, as I said, with like two meats and one side. But then I noticed that somebody came to the table as if you could not easily get a second plate. It was Count Count Killama garbage all over their plate. And it's mounded up as if the volcano is about to explode. And, and, and there's, you know, seven ribs and six sides and one sirloin steak. And uh, the banana pudding's right in the middle, as gross as that is to combine all those, you know. And, and, and all this food is mounded up. Amen. We have a witness. Brother, testify. And y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all been to the, you know, you could easily go get a second plate because it's an all-you-can-eat buffet. But they're like, you know, if I'm going to make one trip, I'm going to pass out after this one. <laughs> I don't understand it, but they do that. And it's kind of funny to me. I really believe, though, some of our Christian lives resemble that overstacked plate. And Christ has no bearing in it at all. You know, we, we've got the kids soccer and, and we, we've got our, our lessons and we've got our occupation and we've got our hobbies and we've, we've got our cars and we've, we've got everything on our plate. But really, Christ is not in there at all. Yeah. And I want you to understand, that's exactly what Christ was saying when he said, 
choked out by thorns. There's no room for me or my word. And it can't take root because you have so much going on. You know, we live in an amazing country. And we are very blessed because really none of us are hurting. We normally don't struggle for meals. And one of the blessings of being in our nation is most of the time we have money to throw away. You know, whether it's on Rangers games or Mavs tickets or heaven forbid paying $80 for parking at Cowboys Stadium, Jerry World, what is that, AT&T University, whatever. I don't know what it is now, but heaven forbid we'd go there and spend $80 on parking. We live in a blessed society, though, and praise the Lord for that. But amidst all the extra money that we have sometimes to, you know, go buy us some nice clothes or to spend a little bit on our boat or whatever it is, I hope that we don't omit Christ from our life because we have so much extra. For without Christ being your fundamental building block, there is no foundation. There is no building to be built. It's a hollow uh, edifice at best. I just hope that our lives are not overcrowded. Secondly, and this is the word the Bible uses in verse 14, the choking of this ground in verse 14. And that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked. That's kind of an alarming word that the Bible would use there. But it says, and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life. So Jesus is teaching, and I want you to understand, Jesus has been preaching now for a good while. We've already covered one sermon that was the Sermon on the Mount. We just found out earlier that He's been going from town to town preaching the Word of God. And I believe one day He just begins to tell His disciples, you know why everybody's not responding? Because there's four types of soil. And he gets down to this particular soil, which is the thorny ground. And he begins to tell how the pleasures of this current life have choked out their desire to serve the Lord. And to react upon the Word of God. But we've got a lot going on. You know, I was listening to a Christian comedian the other day and he said, You want to know what it's like to have a baby? It's kind of like you're drowning. And then somebody throws a baby on top of you. (laughs) That's kind of funny, you know, that we're about to have this baby next Monday. Woot, woot. You know, we're really excited about that. And and, and it's kind of a funny thought. But, you know, we have a lot going on. And and, and that's not wrong to have hobbies and to take the kids to soccer practice as long as it's not on church night. You know what I mean? But uh, it's not wrong to do those things. But the Bible's saying that at times... When you get so involved in things that are not spiritual in nature, they begin to choke you. They begin to suffocate your joy. So many Christians walk around joyless because they're so involved in the worldly things. I don't mean evil things, I just mean worldly things. And they can't find true joy. It's because Christ is not their building block. The Bible's not impacting them and changing them. And it's simply saying that every once in a while we can be so enthralled with the cares of this life that we don't allow the Bible to change us. The Bible says in Luke 12 verse 15, And He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Possesseth. Jesus is saying, don't worry about materialistic things and, and gaining things on this earth because the thing that makes you you is not what you have. The Bible says in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. No joy? You've probably got your priorities in the wrong position. Because Jesus offers joy. 
Jesus offers happiness. Jesus offers fulfillment. Too many Christians are empty. I just believe maybe they've become a little thorny. And the Word of God cannot take root in their life. C.H. Spurgeon said this in a sermon. If a man has Christ, then what does he, he want else? If a man has Christ, he has everything. If I want perfection and I have Christ, I have absolute perfection in Him. If I want righteousness, I shall find in Him my beauty and my glorious dress. I want pardon, and if I have Christ, I am pardoned. I want heaven, and if I have Christ, I have the Prince of Heaven. And shall be there by and by to live with Christ and to dwell in His blessed embrace forever. If you have Christ, you have all. We've probably concerned ourselves with things that really don't matter. And we may have gotten a little thorny at times. And not allowed the Word of God to breathe and to to change our lives and to affect us as people and as individuals and as Christians. So we've seen now the three types of soil. We've seen the unavailable heart. We've seen the unprepared heart. And we've seen the unreceptive heart. Finally, I want to take a look at what we should all strive to achieve, and that is the unrestricted heart. Look in verse 15. I love the way Jesus is... I don't know if you do this as well, but when I read the preaching of Jesus, I read it as if He's preaching to me. And, And between verse 14 and 15, I just sense a change in His voice. I sense a tenderness, a a lightheartedness when he says, but that on the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. I want you to take a look with me, first of all, at the authenticity of their search. The person with a heart that is truly striving to be changed and molded by the Word of God will be real. It won't be fake. Now, I've seen some fake Christians. Oh, Brother Al, it's sure good to to see you. Boy, I'm just so thankful the Lord chose to meet with us today. Boy, I'll tell you, it's a good day Sunday, you know. But they're never around when we take an offering. Yeah. Give it all Sunday seems to be a every year vacation for them. Yeah. It's like, oh, we're, the kids and I are going to be out of town. To Burleson? <laughs> that's not really a vacation. That's a staycation. You know, and I just believe that when somebody is truly open and receptive to the Bible, they will have an authenticity about them. The Bible speaks of it as bring forth much fruit. Speaks of it as good fruit. I believe as Galatians 1.10, Paul stands up and says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Our Christian walk is not to show Uh, everyone else how good we are or how real we are or how far we've come since we've been saved. Our Christian walk is to be walked humbly in the light of God's glory and grace, seeking to bring honor to His precious name. And I believe as if we were to open our hearts and be real as we could be and open to what the Bible has for us, we could be changed. You know why people sometimes don't change to what the Bible is telling them to do? Because they have no room for improvement. Why should I fix perfection? You know, we're all just a bunch of sinners saved by grace. And there ain't nobody in here, and I love that English, ain't nobody in here that has achieved the Christian walk. We're all starting at point A and hopefully one day we'll be able to get to point B where we say, Lord, I did everything for you. And we'll be able to hear those precious words, well done, 
thou good and faithful servant. I believe we should strive to please God and not men. And that's what the Bible says in verse 15. It says, which in an honest and good heart. See, false Christianity is not real Christianity. We ought to honestly and sincerely live our lives to please Christ. Secondly, we see the abiding of their stance. In verse 15, And bring forth fruit with patience. Now, I don't know about you, but if there's one thing I really don't want to be praying for, it's patience. You know what I mean? Lord, please give me patience. Seven years later, you find a wife. You know, that's not good. I'm like, Lord, bring the wife and I'll learn patience some other avenue, you know, at the vending machine or something. But maybe not with my marriage. And, and we all know of the famous saying, you know, don't pray for patience because God will make you patient. But truly, the Bible saying here, the Christian life is not a sprint. It's very much a marathon. In which we live our whole lives. I love the saying, the Christian life is not measured in years, it's measured in decades. Hopefully the Lord allows me to live a while and, and hopefully He allows me to impact this community and and, and this nation for the cause of Christ. And I hope that each and every one of you are there alongside us as we try impacting this world with the gospel. But it may not happen tomorrow. And I think it's unique how verse 15 says, with patience. 1 Peter 1 verse 7 says this, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You see, our Christian walk ought to be real, but it might take a while. And those that have hard hearts, they'll fall away because valleys will come. Struggle and temptation are around the bend for every one of us. But someone who's truly rooted in the Word of God will open-heartedly say, Lord, I trust You. And I hope however I can glorify You through this valley, that's what I want to do. Now we recently changed youth camps this year. We went to Southland Baptist Youth Camp in Ringgold, Louisiana. It was a cool experience. It was good. But... I have to say that my favorite years were at Timberline, where we went for 20 years. Man, I remember catching bass in that pond before I could even go to the preaching services. I I was going there when I was like six years old, man. I I loved Timberline. One of the things that I I did just a couple times while I was there was the rappelling tower. Now, many of you may know what rappelling is, but I remember when I was much younger, I wasn't even old enough to go to camp. I was probably, you know, fifth or sixth grade. I remember looking at the rappelling tower going, wow, I want to do that. And so I taught my dad into letting me do it. And the rappelling tower is a wall that is basically, I don't know, I'd say 60 to 75 foot tall. And you get up on the wall and it's just a straight 90 degree drop, just a vertical drop. And we all know what rappelling is. You put on the harness and you get the rope and they make you wear the helmet as if that would save you if you fell from 75 feet. <laughs> uh, as long as my head's okay. I don't mind if I break my hiney bone. That would, that's okay, you know. I don't know. So we, we, uh, we uh, get on the tower and I remember being, you know, fifth or sixth grade and there's this moment when they're teaching you how to do it. You put your hand on the rope here and you put your hand on the rope behind you. And you're on the very edge. And they say, lean back. You say, no. <laughs> they say, no, you got to lean back. No. Say, there's a line. They can wait. <laughs> and literally, as, as you're, you're leaning back, you still are trying to maintain your weight on the front of your toes while your body is... <laughs> You're, you're trying like a Looney Tunes cartoon to, to stay on there as long as you can. But there's a moment of trust. 
You have to trust the equipment will hold you. You have to have faith that everything that pimple-faced kid that's working one summer at youth camp (laughs) said is going to happen. And you fall off. Just like that. Now the first few steps are always timid. What? Huh? And then obviously I'm a little bit of a daredevil once I find out I'm not going to die. So for about the first five steps it was, okay, alright. Then I jumped. (laughs) And I let that rope out. And I remember taking about 20 feet of that wall out just by jumping and trusting the equipment. You see, I tried thinking of the best way to illustrate to you freely allowing the Word of God to have course in our life. And I believe it requires faith. I believe, first of all, it requires faith that everything this book says is true. Everything that this book says is wholesome and edifying and uplifting. And if I change my life to this book... Every promise that God has written, including the ones that talk about He will provide for my needs. If I apply my life to this book, He will do all that He's promised He would do. It takes a lot of faith, though. You know what it resembles? Oh. <laughs> okay. But some of us are just hanging on the edge of the wall. Somewhat trusting in our own ability to stand, all the while Christ is beckoning you, jump. Just just turn loose, if you will. I believe wholeheartedly that this book has the power to change lives. I've seen it. I believe wholeheartedly that our nation is not too far gone because we have the answer for this nation. But it's here in this book. And the reason Christianity is weak at best is because we're not seeking with properly prepared hearts, willing to change to whatever Christ would have us do. Where are you at? Are you on the edge of the wall? Tonight is, is, are you feeling the Holy Spirit tug at your heart? Just jump. Because He will do all that He's promised. Amen.